0: fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to f triple G B T. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom,
1: Dr. Michael Dennon. Oh, Dan, it is so awesome to be here. I know for a fact this is going to be my favorite episode ever. It's going to go down in history as absolutely amazing because we are dealing with subject matter so near and dear to my heart. Take it easy, Denny. You don't want to get ahead of yourself here because, you know, the jinx phenomenon
0: is real and what I don't want is for you to say it's going to be great and we end up falling on our
1: face. Well, you know, Dan, luckily I can make a saving throw for that and I rolled a nat 20, so I'm feeling really good. Perfect.
0: Well, I, you've restored my confidence for sure. I think this episode's going to be great. It will go down in the annals of history. They will sing songs about us very, very soon uh, when, when we are dead and gone. But there's one man who is never dead and gone because he can regen- regenerate himself robotically and cybernetically, and that's our enigmatic engineer,
2: Ben Siebzer. Ben, how are things going up there on the Brain Station? Dan, this week I've been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate 3. It's so much fun. But it's also making me nostalgic for some real in-person D&D like we've played in the past. You know, I definitely need to figure out how to host a game night up here. Well, I would love to come.
0: You're the rocket scientist. And as long as you can get me uh, a trip, <laughs> uh, a ride up to the brain station, you know, I'll be there uh, with my Dungeon Master hat on. Uh, but, you know, yeah. uh, if you if. You haven't guessed by now, we're talking about the Dungeons and Dragons movie, but we're, I think we're going to mix in some original Dungeons and Dragons as well. I, I have to say, I was really excited and impressed that this movie was so good at capturing the essence of playing Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like, it felt like I was a kid sitting around with a group of adventurers. They did a great job. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, Denon. I know you're an old school player as well. Did this feel like when you were a kid?
1: Oh, it felt awesome. It really did. Because what it captured, I think, most that was overlooked in the minor criticisms of it is Mm -hmm. it captured the feel and the fun. I heard a great quote by someone at the end of the day, it makes sense to ignore the rules in place of really good, fun, logical play. Um, Mm -hmm. People nitpicked on certain things not matching the rules, but I'm like, it was damn fun. Of course, that's a rule you would ignore. And we know no one plays D anD D exactly rules as written. So there you go. Well. Really captured the feel. There's just too many of them, Dan. I know there's a rule somewhere that you haven't read that you don't play by.
0: Oh me! Oh, I, I, look, I will throw the rules out for fun and story. I mean, that's 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 yeah, my number exactly. one rule. Yeah, but what I'm saying is there definitely are people out there who would follow every rule in the book. Um, and an unrelated person, uh, Ben, how did you feel about the uh, Dungeons and Dragons this movie?
2: Well, I, I'm with you on the the breaking the rules thing. You know, I've, you know, there, there's all this talk of you know new new uh, versions of D and D coming out, and people not liking this rule and not liking that rule, and I'm like. Who cares? Just don't follow the rules. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just ignore it. Doesn't it doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and that's what's beautiful about this movie is that I mm-hmm. would say our our te- our uh, our plucky adventuring team here, mm-hmm. they they're not following the rules either. They're doing what they want to <laughs> yeah. help, you know, save the city and save the daughter and yeah. you know, that's what's important. Not following the rules. <laughs> it's exa- who everyone loves a rebel, right? I mean, right, and yeah. so even in the
0: even in the nerd world of Dungeons and Dragons, that rebel DM <laughs> is the one everyone likes. Uh, but speaking of rebellion, you know, Denon, I imagine that Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons appeals to some fundamental part of you because you are you love archery. You go to Renaissance fairs. As a matter of fact, you know, if I'm not given too much behind the scenes here, I believe your hat was purchased at a Renaissance fair. Um, Although I don't know how fedoras existed back in the fantasy times, but I'll leave that explanation for another time.
1: Well, it's a magical hat, Dan, and it actually, you know, that's how it works. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it it is so true. Like, what I love about the D&D era is it doesn't have to be completely historically accurate either, Mm -hmm. right? And it brings in that fun element. Sure, Um, right. And there is just the way these characters interact the way, as 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 Ben said, that they they work together, which you have mm-hmm. to do. You have to be a team, mm-hmm. um, unless you're that you know chaotic evil secret assassin rogue who may or may not be a team player, right? There there's sure. there's some nuance there. They didn't have to deal. They sort of had to deal with that, right, early on in bit. the movie as a spoiler, mm-hmm. right? So, I love all of that give and take, the role playing, as you said, the story aspect. It's for me, I love the combat too. It's not just about that though. It, I will say, I missed. I missed the slow motion combat action scenes with the occasional roll of dice. But other than that, the movie was perfect.
2: Yeah. I mean, although it'd be pretty weird if they were, you know, stepwise, you know, doing everything six seconds at a time in, in the movie. I don't think that would work quite as well. The extreme
1: no. stop action film.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I feel like that would slow the action down a bit. Maybe that's that's <laughs> yeah. just me. Uh, but one thing I want to do is keep the action moving, uh, both in my D&D campaigns and on this show. So what I've devised is, uh, you know, i played a lot of role-playing games, you guys have as well, and I've come up with my own knockoff version, which I'm calling Monsters and Magic. I think that's a pretty good name for a role-playing system. Mm-hmm. But it's also a great way to organize today's show. We have monsters... We have magic, and then we've (laughs) got some that cross over, some magical monsters, which we're going to get to. But I think any good Dungeons & Dragons aficionado will think of one creature that we see in this movie that might be one of the most insidious creatures in the world, and that's the mimic. And this is a creature that can basically take the form of inorganic items most most specifically and infamously... A treasure chest. So an unwitting, you know, hapless adventurer <laughs> goes to crack open that well-earned treasure chest, and instead of finding gold, he finds a monster that's going to eat him and turn him into lunch. So, uh, Denon, as an old-school adventurer, I imagine you uh, were pretty scared of these guys as well.
1: I, I was. I'm I scared of the Mimic. I love the Mimic when I'm a DM. I mean... Y- that's the beauty of Dungeons & Dragons. Your your emotions flip, depending which side of the table you're on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very fluid. I have to admit, Dan, I am momentarily scared for you because I realized your new game um, abbreviates to M&M, and I'm wondering if you're, they're going to come after you with a trademark <laughs> or copyright lawsuit because huh. the only thing scarier than a mimic is a lawyer. Um, <laughs> well, and the
0: M&M, the rapper, is pretty scary, too. I don't want him coming yeah, after exactly. me, So, <laughs> But I do know, I do know, Dan, and I do know what snack I'm going to have at every one of my
1: games, so yes, I think you'll enjoy exactly. that. Exactly, and with this product placement, I hope they send us some money. <laughs> <laughs> At least a bag, yeah. yeah. But you know, the mimic is just like what I like about it, Dan. From one perspective, is it represents the pinnacle of evolution. Um, we, okay. we are a pinnacle. I should say a pinnacle. We are the pinnacle. It is a pinnacle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, All right. You know, but but it's evolution and biology, like finds those niches. Mm-hmm. And, and finds the way to be most efficient at what it does. And the Mimic is probably one of the most efficient things at tricking, eating, and killing um, dungeon adventurers. I mean, it's it's that simple. Um, and so I, I love it for that evolutionary prowess.
2: Yeah, the Mimic also to me is just the biggest warning about easy riches and easy wealth. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing, you know, we're talking about it having lunch, but there is no free lunch. Sure. Uh, you know, if you see a pile of treasure chest, a pile of treasure chest, a treasure <laughs> chest, just, just, that'd be a lot of mimics. Uh, if yeah. you see a tre- yeah, that might be something even scarier. Uh, if you, but if you just see a treasure chest lying there, you mm-hmm. should be wary because there is no easy money in Dungeons & Dragons. And it's why you need to shoot every treasure chest you see first <laughs> to see if it squirms or something. Uh, I'm with you. Look, you may say there's no such thing as a free lunch, but I
0: think the mimic would disagree. Uh, that sometimes those adventurers are pretty easy pickings. Uh, but this is, you know, this is it. You bring up a great point here, Ben, which is that you have to really if you're a mimic and you're a creature that's eating adventurers, you really have to look like a treasure chest, which can be Mm -hmm. difficult. You've got wood, you've got metal, you've got a specific shape, it can't look too perfect, can't look too, you know, imperfect. And, you know, when I think of perfect and I think of pigmentation, I think of my favorite Mm -hmm. animal on the planet, the octopus, which has, the the pigmentation is almost like a 4K television set in in the animal (laughs) kingdom, right? I mean, these guys are so Mm -hmm. highly advanced. And I think about their use of mimic's use of this pigmentation to really look like the thing that it's trying to mimic?
1: Well, I, I think pigmentation is part of it, Dan. I think that's key. And this is where we really see um, mm-hmm. biology as nature's technology. Um, mm-hmm. I believe I'm quoting you close to correct. Close enough for my my purposes, anyway. Good. <laughs> <Pretty good. laughs> um, and And we underestimate, I think, what nature can do because we often like we're very self-centered on our own technology, not mm-hmm. nature's technology. Mm-hmm. And pigmentation is just one. I think shape is is um, something we underestimate here, and I think the treasure chest can do it. Um, and I also see there's the obvious precursor here, which is the Venus flytrap. And when I watched okay. the movie. Yeah, there's some big teeth in front, but you can see the remnants. You can see the evolutionary traits of the Venus flytrap in the background, like the coloration inside the mouth, the finer teeth in the back of the big teeth. Um, you know, and so I really I, I I see this creature's origins, and I say Venus flytrap to mimic is like early monkey to human. You know, I go back okay. to my SAT analogy days. Um, and clearly, I, I'm sure this was a question on the
2: SATs, and I just don't remember it. I think it was. Yeah, I, th- I think it was. I'm so glad, too, that you brought up the plant kingdom because we know plants are are great mimics. You know, I, I immediately think of orchids that, you know, pretend to look like uh, bees. Yep. And, you know, the bees come in thinking they're going to get some hanky-panky. Yeah. And in reality, they're just doing the plants hanky-panky. Yeah, that's right. Not, and not really getting any maybe you know maybe they get some nectar or something in the end but yeah uh you know plants are known to pretend to be other objects and i love i love that you know you can see that in the mimic
0: yeah i mean they don't get any hanky panky but you know there's no such thing as a free lunch if you want the nectar you got to do the plants Dirty work, uh, <laughs> as it were, uh, which is true. But I mean, that's, you know, it's great. And and the, what's kind of cool about the mimic, which is going to be true of some of the other creatures we talk about, is they're able to sense, uh, they're sensitive to heat and light, which is how they, and in mo- in motion and vibration, I guess, right? But lots of other creatures, they're able to sense the world in that way. You know, when you look at snakes, very highly sensitive to vibration. Mosquitoes, which are another, um, they're not a predator of man, but they do like to <laughs> parasite of their parasitic Uh, parasitic, man yeah they eat us us, parts of us little bits of us at a time but they're sensitive to our carbon dioxide emission to our heat all these types of things and you see that in the mimic uh how they kind of you know attract the adventurer with gold as well right i mean that's the that's the nectar that's the the sweet sweet smell of cash you know they've evolved <laughs> yeah. to us, and the other kind of cool thing here, I'm just going to throw this in there, is they have a very strong adhesive, which we see in the movie. Uh, I don't know how that plays into anything, but um, adhesive is always really cool, Denon.
1: Well, you know, you you look at it, and basically what I love about the mimic, you got your basic core evolution from the Venus flytrap, which also has adhesive and stickiness, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm. when the fly gets in, it's not just closing. I, I believe it does stick in there some. More importantly, you you it got doesn't the Denon.
0: I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt the sundew, which is another carnivorous plant has oh,
1: sticky goo I, gotcha yeah. okay, okay. So similar i'm, I'm mixing the, my plants wait, it's okay and
2: and the good thing about the song do, do is it's got that long tongue like the mimic it certainly does it's yes. does. Hey, <laughs> hey you're not wrong it's just a different plant but it's adhesive a long plant. tongue yeah
1: and, and a little crossbreeding dan and that's what evolution is all about and right. you've got the long tongue <laughs> i was gonna go with a frog i was imagining a frog in a venus flytrap mm. crossbreeding but you know probably makes more sense for plants
2: well, you know, it, it, it just goes to show this is, you know, if the mimic is in reality some crazy evil wizard's magical concoction, you know, maybe they crossed a, a sundew with a Venus flytrap. And Maybe also with say a sea turtle because mm-hmm. you know, you look down the gullet of that mimic and it looks a lot like a sea turtle mouth <laughs> <laughs> It is very true. And I, I, Look, I, I'm gonna keep this in the world of plants
0: forget the sea turtle I'm gonna throw in a pitcher plant whose neck has that exact same structure So I'm going I'm team plant all the way on the mimic uh, which is I, I think we solved it I think if you pulled a mimic yep. up you would see the roots going into the into the side <laughs> of, the, of the dungeon wall there uh, mm. But I, I'm gonna move on. You know, uh, we talked about adhesive which is extraordinarily clean clear, and sticky. And the next creature we're going to talk about has some of those same traits, uh, and that's the gelatinous cube, you know, another old-timey favorite of the Dungeons and Dragons world. And this is its exactly what it sounds like. This is a 10x10 10 10 cube of gelatin that can absorb and digest adventurers that get stuck in inside and in a lot of ways from what I understand this it's so clear that it's almost like an extraordinarily you know clean window and I just (laughs) had a a, you know a situation where I walked headfirst right into a glass door and I feel like if I was an adventurer you'd have to then and I think you have to pull me out of a gelatinous cube (laughs) once or twice.
2: I, all right. Well, I
1: certainly, sur- Dan. My only fear is I'd be there right next to you. So, Ben, yeah, I'm, I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, we, we may need Ben for this. His robot, his robot detection system might be better than our eyeballs. Yeah.
2: Well, it, it's why you don't run in hallways and why you never walk side by side, so that if one of us walks into the gelatinous cube, the other two can uh, pull pull that person out. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. I mean, you have to be you have to be wary. You got to be prepared. That is the key. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's more of the shoot, you know, shoot ahead of you, throw rocks ahead of you. That's the other trick to getting around the gelatinous cube. You know, you just keep throwing rocks. Um, And if and if the rock sticks and doesn't fall to the ground, you know, you know, to watch out. Yeah, you got you got a prop on your hands for sure. Uh, Well, these are kind of cool. So, I I mean, then I imagine, you know,
0: uh, you and I have fallen into one of these. So what, what do you think about them?
1: Well, so here's what I love about the gelatinous cube. Um, You know, if I was to, again, put on my physicist hat here as a foam expert, Mm -hmm. I fear, you know, look, the the writers of the Monster Manual are doing their best to describe what they think the biology of these creatures are. Mm -hmm. And I think they've mistaken the gelatinous cube and miscategorized it. I don't think it's actually alive at all. I think it is literally a gelatinous cube. Um, it is okay. It is a cube of viscoelastic material that turns out to be transparent that has uh, corrosive properties. And okay. I think the movie captures this really well. There is absolutely no reason to think this pile of goo is any more alive than the shaving cream um, I use in the morning. It is just a bit more deadly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I disagree with you a little bit there, Dan. I think it has to be to some degree alive because otherwise it's acidic properties would, would disperse over time. Mm-hmm. Something has to be refreshing its digestive capability. And in my mind, that lends itself, not to being so much alive, but being some sort of, you know, colony of bacteria or fungus or something like that, that happens to be invisible. And it's it's just digesting you like a jellyfish or any other kind of semi-translucent to translucent animal.
1: No, it, it is an option, Ben, but you know, one thing I like is with the complex foam geometry, um, it can have mm-hmm. a much greater reservoir of acid or you know, corrosive mm. material than you think. And again, it just comes down to how long and patient have our you know uh, dungeon and dra- dragon um, botanists and um, people who study animals. I don't know what the word is for that. Zoologists? Um, animal studiers. Zoologists. Yeah. I, th- I, think you it's, nan- I think it's
0: animal studiers. I think that's right. I'm sorry. I was incorrect. Yeah. Exactly <laughs>
1: You know, I don't think they've just been patient enough to watch the, you know, acidic mm. properties of it run out.
2: So in your mind is the gelatinous cube like you buy some uh, jello boxes at the at the, the sundry store and the evil uh, dungeon builders just cook one of these up and, and pop them in there.
1: Oh, no, I think this is a natural, you know, self, self-forming self process, right? Oh, okay. Self-assembly okay. Is, is a common thing in material science, um, way more than we originally thought. And so there are a lot of processes, just natural chemical reactions. I think it is basically the square version of the stalactite stalactmite situation.
0: <laughs> I was just going to oh. say, this sounds like a, a cave system that just forms oh, beautifully. Yep. You know, uh, that's interesting. I, you know, uh, the, so the, uh, and you put me on the fence here, guys, because you both make strong <laughs> arguments. I, 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 I'm inclined to move towards Ben's position, where that these are have some sort of life to them, right? Like there's mm-hmm. something there because I think you do have to. They are digesting things, and that feels evolutionary, right? <laughs> uh, but also, they're they're square. They're a perfect cube. And, you know, yeah. uh, there's a whole phenomenon of cube watermelons where people, you know, you just take a box and you grow the watermelon mm-hmm. in the box and it will just fit the shape of the yeah. item that it's in. I guess you could do that with with babies' heads, too. I don't think we do that very often, <laughs> but you
1: you could, I think. Um, shouldn't, well, but, but, yeah, shouldn't but could. You shouldn't. I agree. <laughs> You know, but viscoelastic material with a slightly more elastic than visco, it will do just what the cube does. <laughs> and in a square dungeon, uh-huh. hold its shape, right? Yeah. Like as your stalactite forms in that open square where the block was missing, yeah. you get a gelatinous cube. Yeah. You're totally right. This is very, very hard to distinguish. But I think uh, what I would challenge you two to do. Is let go a little bit of your life-centric view here, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And realize that non-life is equally as fascinating um, and can mimic many of. I mean, we've already saw the uh, mimic itself as a beast can mimic many of the characteristics of of you know living matter, just like you know your F triple GTB mug, right? can generate feelings just like living things can, right? Like yeah. and emotions, right? Right. You you project them on and you get those feelings back and it reassures you. It's a very reassuring thing. You yeah. might make the mistake of thinking this mug is alive
2: when in right. fact mm-hmm. it's not.
0: Right. Well, yeah. be careful it's not a mimic, I will tell you, because technically <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs> you could have a mouth inside there, but ours will not, I guarantee that much.
2: Yeah. You know, well, I, I, while we're on the subject of the gelatinous cube, I think – the fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technology water bottle is another useful item that you can use to find the gelatinous cubes. Because, like, the, if you don't have any rocks around, you can be throwing this ahead of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because it's so well-made, it won't dissolve in the cube, and you can just pull it out and find another way through the, the dungeon. Uh, I mean, that
0: is fantastic advice, and you should buy several just in case you miss one down the hallway, uh, which, which is great. <laughs> and, and if you the gelatinous cube is a perfect example of biology as nature's technology uh, and I'm going to stand by that uh, you can purchase this shirt and all those things on FGGBT.com forward slash merch uh, get all your great stuff there and you can also find lots of great stuff in that gelatinous cube as it dissolves all, <laughs> all sorts of people and leaves their items behind like their water bottles or their shields or their swords uh, but you know I, I, I think if you the real question was to put a, put a period on this I'm going to put up a, a, a nice poll on our our various social media feeds, and I want you to tell me, or put in the comments below if you're watching this on YouTube. Do you think the gelatinous cube is organic or inorganic? Is it a creature, or is it a natural phenomenon? You're on Team Denon or Team Uh, uh You decide. <laughs> you decide. <laughs> you decide at home. Uh, but there's another creature. Now, it, this is gonna. I don't want this to displace us as a group, but one creature <laughs> that displaces naturally is the Displacer Beast. And we see this in uh, in the Dungeons & Dragons movie as a gigantic puma with these two tentacles coming out of its shoulders. And it seems to be able to project an image of itself that confuses people around them. The official Dungeons & Dragons version has the beast as being able to cast to trick the adventurers into believing that it is somewhere that it is not. So it gets a little tricky, but nonetheless, no matter how we describe it, this is a
1: pretty scary monster because Pumas are pretty terrifying without the ability to jump around. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, unless you're you're a cat lover and you have the right, you know, technique to calm them down, Dan. That's um, true.
0: But I will tell you I just saw a video, I didn't mean to interrupt you, I just saw a video of a guy who runs around with lion herds. And he the oh. first image is him startling a lion that's drinking water at an oasis, and how he didn't get his head chomped off is <laughs> amazing <laughs> to me. It's terrifying to watch.
1: <laughs> but anyway, I can only did because <laughs> uh, you know, we, we did say the mimic was NA. Apex of evolution, but we all know cats are the apex predators. So, yes. um, the puma itself is is very is very scary. But what I love about this, I mean, this this not only are we talking DD, and Dan, we've already been able to talk about foams, right? Like this is a sure. golden episode so far. And right? By we, you mean now, you?
0: Just by just make, exactly, yeah. Right. No, yeah. but I, uh, the yeah. royal
1: we, <laughs> the <Sure>. royal we. <laughs> we. What what do you mean we? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but but now we get to talk about one of my other favorite material science things: bending light. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and the displacer beast again. You look at it, and you say, "Oh, that's magic." And we do know, as I often quote, you know, any you know, magic is just sufficiently advanced technology that you that's don't right. understand it. Mm-hmm. Or in this case, magic is sufficiently advanced biology that mm-hmm. you don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, one thing about the displacer beast is to just make yourself appear. I, I forget, like three feet, five it's three feet. It's you know, mm-hmm. it's three one, feet y- to one yard. One side, one yard, because it was an English beast originally. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's football season, then, <laughs> you know. and I think in yards now. <laughs> right, exactly. So, wh- one yard to the side. I mean, this is the classic pencil in a jar of water problem, right? You stick your pencil, mm-hmm. and the bottom half of the pencil is displaced. Not quite a yard, no. um, but you change the index of refraction, the right amount in the air around you. That's what those tentacles are doing, yes. manipulating the air and its mm. index of refraction, and suddenly you're three feet to the side. Interesting. Um, so yeah. I love it. it. It's no magic. It's just physics. But physics is magical. It certainly sure is.
2: I think if it's more you know the cat behind the gelatinous cube, that uh, ah. we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the world of but i i love this idea of that it's not even maybe a projected illusion but it's potentially just you know you could imagine if those uh those uh tentacles are just like heat guns essentially mm-hmm. the the distortion you could make um of hot air which refracts the light differently than the ambient air that alone could be enough to cause that visual displacement that you know, we, we we imagine from how we read the uh, the the displacer Beasts in the monster manuals.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because you know when you look at something like that, uh, we see it all the time. When you're looking down a hot you know driveway yeah. or a long road, and everything seems mm-hmm. to get sparkly. If that's focused correctly, I think you three feet's not that far. I think this is this is yeah. very doable. Yeah. Um, you know, when you start to look at the movie though. And I think I want to give an alternate explanation. When I mean, you look at the movie, the movie itself is a little different. And we've already talked earlier about not being a slave to the rules, right? Like in their <laughs> D&D world, yeah. the Displacer Beast is a, a little different. It looks more like it's projecting an image of itself because you see both the original Displacer Beast and this projected image. Now, in that situation, mm. it's very different from a physics standpoint, but also as an adventurer, now you got a choice to make, right? Which one yeah, are you yeah. choosing? Not
1: which side is the place, this place beast that's invisible really on. No, I love that, Dan. But again, what what fascinates me about this, and I'd never thought about it till seeing this movie, right? We 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 know basically antenna are antenna and receivers. It's the same physics. They work mm-hmm. in either direction, mm-hmm. right? And nature has evolved um, detection systems for optical. We have eyes. Right, so we basically have right, you know, the camera screen and, and the, all of that. So it, it is, it makes me think like to actually evolve a projective system. Now it's not quite the antenna receiver um, symmetry here. Mm-hmm. There's a little more to projecting yeah. than receiving, but I, I think given enough time and evolution, um, the the those cool antenna could go from antenna to projectors. Um, And and that would be, like, super cool.
2: And and it makes more sense as a projection because, as we all know, the true scene spell allows you to see the true location of the Displacer Beast. Mm -hmm. And if it's, like, broadcasting into your brain or something with the illusion... Uh, I don't see how True Seeing would help you out. (laughs) That's a a good point. Uh, For all of our nerds out there, tell us, would True Seeing
0: work on a projection? I think that that's uh, the real key here. Uh, But also, you know, I I couldn't help but, you know, I'm on a kick. I want to turn the internet into a good place and find those nice places on the internet. And there are lots of fun little accounts where they just show cute little animals and I just could not help but think of little displacer beast cubs being taught how to jump, (laughs) how to move around and use their power. (laughs) And the in the mama cub or the mama displacer beast trying to teach him how to do it that seems really cute to me and I'd love to see I'd love to see that video uh, I would not want to see a video of before we move on of a beholder now we don't see the beholder <laughs> in this movie but any D&D aficionado knows what they are which is a gigantic floating eyeball with a bunch of crazy eye stalks that each have a different magical power now I would say Denon uh, we're not going to go into this one but to me this is the pinnacle of of biology as nature's technology. This is where technology, magical technology, and biology meet in their ultimate form. Uh, but this, this, you know, the beholders filled with magic. So let's let's talk about the magic that we see in this movie. And the first of which is the wild shape. You know, we see the the druid turn into an owl bear and several other you know forms. This to me. You know, we've talked about you know I don't really talked about werewolves or you know i talked about skinwalkers on fa- my fascinating nouns episode. I'll put a link to it. Uh, these are you know people who are allegedly able to shift forms. This seems like the most fantastical of all of them for just the amount of physics and
1: that that's involved in making it possible. You've totally right, Dan. You've obviously learned a lot from me, so I'm very proud of you. <laughs> um, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I, and, you know, I think there's only real, when it comes to fantasy and magic, I find there are just two main things that people run into all the time, mm-hmm. and this is one of them, conservation of mass, right? You really have to figure out a way to turn energy into mass and mass into energy, because that's your only choice here, E equals MC squared, mm-hmm. you're you're conserving mass otherwise. And those conversions either come with big explosions or a lot of other problems, and so. Um, this is, you know, the shape issues, you, you, there's, there's details to work out, don't get me wrong. Sure. But the details don't matter if you can't generate the mass or get rid of it. Whether you're becoming a fly mm-hmm. and losing mass without exploding or, you know, becoming a, an owlbear and gaining mass from somewhere by sucking up some energy. These are immense quantities of energy we're dealing with. And so that, that's the that's struggle for me is finding that source of energy.
2: Now, I mean, we know the Druid uh, draws their power, their energy from the Fey, you know, the Fey world, the Fey magic. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, Denon, you know, does that work? You know, if there's interdimensional, interdimensionality like we have in Dungeons and Dragons, does that can... The Druid be like a conduit and get that energy out? <laughs> well,
1: I mean, that, that's certainly, I think, one of your best traces. And once again, I, I think we have uh, some esoteric physics here that might help us, which is, you know, when we think about gravity, and gravity is basically energy, it's the curving of space time, that's what you're gonna go after. And when you think about quantum gravity and multi dimensions, we do have working theories around brains, and this would be brains as in B-R-A-N-E, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. from membranes, where you have these dimensions that are parallel sheets and dimensions that if you're connected to those and taking the energy from there, that might be kind of your only chance here for shape-shifting. So, again, mm-hmm. it would look like magic, mm-hmm. but it would be sufficiently advanced gravity technology. After all, we are a technology show.
2: You see, uh, well, I'm glad you've confirmed it, Denning, because druids are my favorite class to play, and... You know, someday i want a wild shape into uh an owlbear myself i want to make that happen for you ben
0: uh so so the brains of the world they're kind of you're saying then and that they're kind of like an exhaust system for this excess energy in a way i
1: i think yeah i, I love that analogy dad that's a good way to say it. And, and also a source of them right because you both yeah. need to send the energy somewhere and suck it in from somewhere um, it's like a vent so so it's like
0: both an exhaust vent and a. It's an H V. It's an H V A C system going into. It's another, an H V A C system, right? right? You, yeah. you either
1: heat or cool, depending what you need. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I want to. I want to offer this up mostly because it will once again highlight the only single victory I have over you, Denon. Now, couldn't it also be? You know, we see the. Uh, we see the druid go from um a, a let's see a fly to a rat to a human back to a rat to a hawk to a cat to a human to a dodo bird and to a deer. In one sequence, Mm -hmm. all these different, you know, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I'd like to talk about how being proficient in all of those animal abilities is also extraordinarily (laughs) impressive athletically. Mm -hmm. But that changing back and forth then, and couldn't it be, you know, I harken back to our shrinking episode. Couldn't it be, you know, just a, a condensing of a condensation of mass? Uh, for the small fly, and then for the gigantic owlbear, you know, like the fluffy Hulk that I I saw on one particular instance. (laughs) Couldn't you have something like this as well
1: that doesn't require all this interdimensional technology? So I I think that's the one thing we haven't done is dissect uh, a druid after it's wild-shaped. And so so to your point, Dan, Uh um, it is an alternative. Um, It it does—the only challenge I have with that a little bit Mm -hmm. is— but, you know, you're right. No, I'm taking it back. I'm taking back my challenge. Yeah, careful. It could be the Fluffy Hulk because the Owlbear looks very strong. But we do know, and as you pointed out, the structural stability of foam is incredible, um, mm-hmm. and uh, just like the Hulk is. Yeah. And and so it could be that the Owlbear on the inside does not have all the Owlbear parts, but yeah. is a foam structure right. of incredible strength and stability. So, I, you know, Dan, that is... You know, I'll, I'll take foam over quantum gravity any day.
2: Um, so I'll give you
0: another
1: win in this column.
0: I love it. I'll take the W and get them.
2: Well, we also know that y- you couldn't dissect the wild shaped, uh, the druid as the wild shape, because as soon as you get uh, knocked to zero health points, you turn back into the druid. Right. So you're. Yeah. <laughs> just to go
1: dark, Ben, I wasn't talking about dissecting when they're dead or unconscious.
2: Oh. <laughs> dissect them well, when they're
1: alive? That's even worse, Denon i'm just i'm just saying for the sake of science sometimes you have to sacrifice dan
2: you know i, I think they might uh transform back while you're doing that but uh anyway okay <laughs> wow jeez well, it i mean
0: pyromaniac um notorious torturer i don't know i don't know what to make of the recent developments in your character and personality you've really done a switcher you've gone from lawful, you've gone from lawful good to chaotic evil really quickly yeah. well
1: well Dan it is a fantasy role playing game where you get to try things that you normally wouldn't do. So I'm just I'm just channeling sure. I'm just channeling the character. Sure.
2: Well, <laughs> well it also goes to show that Dork the druid is probably the most powerful character in this party because all of those transformations in one go, you have to be a very high-level druid to be able to accomplish (laughs) something like that.
0: Yes. Absolutely. And just the athletic prowess to go from, you know, a flying creature to a four-legged creature to an insect flying creature, uh, you know, different types of flying. I mean, this is, you know, the athletic skill there is is pretty impressive. Um, But, you know, Denon's wild comments and his wild swings in personality uh, make me think (laughs) of the wild mage, which is one of my favorite characters in Dungeons and Dragons. I don't believe Simon, who's the magic user in this particular uh, movie, I don't think he is a wild mage. But in some, he does have some of the elements. And this is basically, you know, an extraordinarily talented, high potential human that, that is able to use magic in a way that is powerful and also uncontrollable. Sometimes, you know, their spells will be amazing and other times they'll fall flat on their face. You know, besides the clear opportunities for comic relief, which I love, uh, it's still a pretty cool phenomenon, Denon.
1: Oh, it's awesome. And I will tell you, because um, as my daughter, the DM will tell you, I spend way too much time carefully thinking through all my characters and reading all the rules Mm -hmm. and applying that same analysis um, to the movie, his wild magic comes from his device, which is basically a variant of the wild magic wand, mm-hmm. where okay. it can cast random spells. He is actually a sorcerer with his innate magic ability that he's not very good at. But I mean, they call him a sorcerer, so I assume that's what class they're that's building right. it on, mm-hmm. right? And and so. Yes, he goes from, eh, not so good at it, to uh, much better by the end. Mm-hmm. But I love, so I, I could never handle playing it, Dan, mm-hmm. uh, the wild magic, because I am much more careful in my wizard. I am a wizard, and I and I am very, very purposeful and planned, but I love it when, <laughs> when my, my nephew plays a character with a wild uh, magic wand and who uses wild magic, and the random effects that come out. just amazing and fun you know you you think you got the bad guy done and uh i don't know a bed of feathers shows up and (laughs) he just lands in there's like you know it's it 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 adds that not only comedic element to the movie but comedic element to the game Mm -hmm. um that is so satisfying
2: i i and i really like simon's like he's using this you know this device and I, i couldn't really decide like is this his, like just a fancy spell component pouch and sometimes he pulls the wrong component and that's why he casts the wrong spell. Or or is he or is it a wand? Is this a refashioned wand and he's just, you know, casting whatever, you know, thing he dialed to. And he's not really <laughs> that much yeah. of a Wizard or
1: sorcerer at all? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's a very subtle thing, Ben. And I was watching super carefully. He casts both his spells, and the device is a spell-casting device that he refers to as being a wild magic device that doesn't always do what he wants.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So well, there you go. There it is. So he's
1: got he's he's got both spell casting and device. So you know, which as a good wizard, you need. You need those devices. You need those tools. You need those wands. But that innate ability, Dan, mm-hmm. is something else that's also very cool in this
2: exactly then you only have so many spell slots so you got to carry just you know a bag of wands and scrolls with you so you always have something to do <laughs> oh we leave it to an engineer to think of redundancies
0: when it comes to to work those into this magic user well you know i i do like this wild you know i i love athletics i love the idea of these wildly athletic talented people and it it's even more interesting when you can't control that power you know i think back to major league and wild thing you know the great charlie <laughs> (laughs) Sheen plays Mm. a pitcher who's got a lot of heat on the ball. Can't put it anywhere near the plate, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and, yeah. and I also think of, you know, on the opposite end of that spectrum, I think of my favorite pitch, which is the knuckleball. And the brilliance of it is that you're, you know, this is a major league pitch. You're throwing at 78 miles an hour, which for those who don't know, that's pretty hittable for a professional hitter. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's so wildly unpredictable. It has no spin on it. You don't know. It's floating and bouncing around. I've had someone pitch one of these to me. It's so much fun to watch. And it, you can can't predict where it's going to go. Now, that is the (laughs) ultimate form
1: of being able to control the unpredictable. Oh, I, I love that, Dan. And I will tell you, I've, I've never had the pleasure of a knuckleball, but in a similar vein, I remember the first curveball thrown at me. Um, that was a real curveball, yeah. um, to mm. use the pun, right? And Like a 6-12, right? Exactly. I ducked because I thought the pitch was coming to me, and it was a strike over the plate. <laughs> I guess yeah. a 12-6 is what I meant to say. A 6-12 would be flying up oh, in the yeah. air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's crazy.
0: And it's, it's I imagine you swung and uh, missed.
1: Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Or ducked, I guess you said.
1: <laughs> I, well, I ducked and missed, but you know, it's the same principle. Sure. <laughs> sure. Well, the other thing, you know,
0: speaking of ducking and missing, you know, one of the things that uh, that I don't want to miss is the discussion about that portal wand. You know, we just mentioned how many wands Simon has. And, you know, he adds one more to his collection as the movie goes on. And that's what I think he calls the hither dither wand, which is kind of cool. Hither thither Hither thither OK, yeah. <laughs> so, pardon me. Yeah. Pardon me. Uh, the hither thither <laughs> And this is great. <laughs> Basically, you can put a, a hole like a portable, an Acme portable hole, you know, I'll put it. link to those you know we've discussed those as well you put one on on one wall and if you can see another location you can put the out portal on a different wall and you just walk right through uh this is this is great you know and it's just like i think there's a video game called portal which we were considering for this episode or for this for this show uh i like it this is a great part of the movie and boy would i love to have
1: one I would love it. This is, we're creeping a little bit into challenging physics. We've talked a lot about portable holes Mm -hmm. in our lives as a group Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, wormholes and warping gravity. Right. And what I I love about this, it, it, you know, talks about connecting the ends. And I think that, you know, for all the stuff about it that might seem unrealistic, what I really like about it is the realism of he has to see both points. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Right. He can't just create the other end somewhere he can't see. Right, yeah. Because, um, of course, that would make no physical sense whatsoever.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I also really like the, 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 the final act where the, this portal is, like, facing the ground mm-hmm. and they can't do anything. Like, you yeah. can't go through. Like, you can't act back on the thing holding the portal Um, Like that to me was a really interesting thing, physical phenomenon of that in that, you know, portal, the portal itself is an immovable object, but you can move the thing it's on if you have access to the thing it's on. (laughs) Yeah, no, I (laughs) love that.
0: Super complex, but I know what you're saying there, Ben. Uh, Yeah. Because it makes me wonder, like, where does your side of the portal end and the other side begin. That brain, that B-R-A-N-E, uh, yeah. thinking about that hurts my B-R-A-I-N.
1: Oh, it really does, Dan. And, and it, it it's interesting because what you're doing is not really like drilling a hole from one end to the other, which mm-hmm. is what you would normally think about. Right. When we think about a typical wormhole, right, you've bent space and time, you've connected two points. And what this is, is kind of like you create a wormhole in one place that doesn't actually connect anywhere. So it's more of a black hole. And you connect, you put a black hole in another place. Yeah. And you imagine these loose ends wobbling <laughs> in the interdimension <laughs> and they manage to find each other and connect. Yeah. Now, there's a little bit here that might be realistic in the following sense is once you've bent space and time, you are creating these attractive forces. So I suspect the two ends would attract and naturally connect as they're the only warping anywhere around. And this is probably why. It does have a range you know it's a long range mm-hmm. um, and you have to be able to see it but it is a finite range because too far apart the warping probably gets too um, weak for the ends to connect. So you just make two holes to nowhere.
2: One thing I'm curious about then because if we go by like the rules from the portal game, there is no space between the portals like they are they are truly, back-to-back back in in the the portal realm so there's there's nowhere for you to be inside the portal do you does it does that make sense or does there have to be like an actual tunnel you'd go through well i think i think This
1: is where dimensions and bending get tricky. I Mm -hmm. I think in the formation, you think of it as a tunnel. But once it's formed, there probably is no space or distance between them because of the way you've bent space and time. They really are just warped around and touching. And you see that in the movie, right? Yeah. They, They have one foot out each side of the portal. It is just two sides of the same half. I mean it's, or two halves of the same side. I don't know what I just said.
0: <laughs> I think I think that's right. I mean all I could think of was all the cool things you could do with with one of these guns like they do like yeah. they do in the movie. Uh, you know, I have to say, you know, you know this kind of reminds me of instead of being the brain trust, maybe we should be the black holes because we are gravitationally <laughs> strong, we are interdimensional, we are connected and especially you, Denon, you're warped, and we warped the space and time <laughs> yeah. around us. So we might we'd have to, to change our name. Uh, but that, that would be an error if I got that wrong. Uh, and this is the place for it. This is our Errors, Editions, and Omissions section. You know, Things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about Dungeons & Dragons or something else dark in your past? Possibly, you know, maybe, uh, I, I don't want to say what the possibilities are, but you tell us anything we missed that you wanted to confess right now.
1: Nothing. I want to confess. Um, there, there are two sort of great things that came up. There are so many things I could add, but I'm just gonna add two. You, you had mentioned um, the beholder, mm-hmm. and there's a great throwaway line where Simon is talking about the paladin and mentions that he killed a beholder with a sharpened gourd. Um,
0: <laughs> That's right. And,
1: yeah. and that image is just really good. Yeah. And and um, our Harper character goes a sharpened gourd. And he's like, well, a sharpened something, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, you know? And it just shows how stories. Grow, uh-huh. and the other. This is what I love about Simon the Wizard, um, and why I love playing them. When they're when the the thing is filling up with water, and you know um, the the Harper wants him to just use the portal to port him out of there. He goes, "Did you miss where I said I have to see both surfaces? I can make one on this wall and that wall, and you just go back and forth <laughs> through the water."
0: That was funny. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's about all we can do. Yeah.
1: So I, I, you know, you just that cleverness of the wizards, their ability to use things, also shows up in humor. So. Um, those are two additions I have, Dan, and for the sake of our audience and time, I will cut my additions short. That's fantastic,
0: and that's an addition. That's something that you now do that you didn't other do. Was uh, exactly. we keep it we keep it short, <laughs> which I'm learning as well. Uh, ben, anything we miss you wanted to talk about?
2: My addition here is I'm just so glad that they had the Aarakocra, uh in the movie <laughs> with. Uh, Jornathan, the uh, the parole board, the parole hearing <laughs> board member. Yeah, uh, yeah. justice for arakocras. They're my they're one of my favorite classes to play. Partly because you can j- kind of cheat and get the fly spell, but also I just enjoy the. Uh, the image of having a bird person walking around with all these normal people—I think it's very amusing—and I'm so glad they put that in the movie. Yeah, that was that was a great one as well. I mean, they abuse him a little
0: bit, uh, but it works. Everyone's fine. I think yeah. he he lives through the through the experience. Uh, I have a couple things. You know, I wanted to make a correction. You know, if you watch our YouTube version, when I say something silly on screen, or if either one of you two as well do as well, I will I will fix it immediately. But when it comes to the audio only version, you'll have to find it here. So in our last episode, I talked about how the iPhone came out in 1997 it actually came out in 2007 I I I, I goofed that a little bit you know we also we see a fat dragon in this (laughs) in this
1: in this movie
0: (laughs) which I, I I didn't even know that existed you know uh that that's super funny um in the final maze scene you see the uh if you're looking around and you give a careful eye just off to the left of the the main characters in the group, you see this very colorful D&D group and they are the group from the original 1984 cartoon from Dungeons and Dragons, which was just such a great easter egg and of course you see the versatility of rope Uh, we talk about that in From and um, Ben probably used it in uh, our camping episode as well, I believe we talk about it, Uh, but is there anything else that we missed you know, you can get in touch with us on social media, tell us about it, you know, that's the place to air your grievances is on social media do it publicly humiliate yourself and each, well, let's humiliate ourselves and each other you can find this show on twitter at f triple pod on facebook at f triple but you can get in touch with us individually denon where can people find you
1: Well, on most of the social media, you know, Instagram, X, which was Twitter or whatever that is and threads, (laughs) uh, you flip my name. I'm at Denon Michael. Um, Facebook, you have to stick in a prof at Prof Denon Michael. Um, I do have my website, DenonMichael.com. And of all things, you know, I'm I'm trying to beef up my YouTube channel with my Physics of X. That's actually Michael Denon. Um, I found somewhere where I could do my name in the order that it goes. So, you know, what are you going to do with that? (laughs) Uh, you know, social media has just gotten so much more confusing than
0: it. This, that is, oh, it has. That is, uh, that's crazy. Uh, that's crazy. But what about you, Ben?
2: Where can people find you? Well, luckily, my social media isn't confusing. It's always B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R on all the major social media networks. How do you spell that? You spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. Uh, well I'm gonna go a little bit the
0: confusing route, uh, but I'm I'm sure you know these already. You can find me on Twitter at Dan-o- Daniel J. Glenn, <laughs> at, <laughs> on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind, on Instagram and threads at the Daniel J. Glenn, and I have a website, Danieljglenn.com, for all of your Daniel J. Glenn needs. Well, not all of them, but anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Dennon. Sorry.
1: <laughs> and if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.
2: And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful
0: information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. Take this information and do good with it. Remember, always be a superhero, never a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version. Depending on what you like, we got it for you. And if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on YouTube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.